Hello, and welcome to episode 407 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller. Mr. Miller. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm not too shabby. Thinking about Fort Lauderdale, the southeastern United southeastern coast of Florida. What? Why is that? Area code 407. I'm really going to work. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> we actually got complaints from a listener that I should stop doing that, So, uh, but that was like 100 episodes ago. <laughs> You, uh, you, you, uh, I didn't even know that that was the area code for Southern yeah. Florida. Yeah. I grew up down there, so, you know, 407. <laughs> oh, not that far south. I was 904, but up North Florida. But anyway, um, more numbers, 631. 631. This is Korean Air, uh, crash landed in Cebu. Yes. Also the area code for Eastern Long Island. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, people are going to stop listening to us. I'm sorry. Uh, so this is late breaking news on Sunday afternoon, East Coast U.S. time, uh, which is when we're recording. But uh, a Korean A330 went down. Appears to have done two missed approaches before finally trying to put it down in bad weather and uh, putting down hard. Uh, looks like it ran off the end of the runway. Still had a lot of speed. There appear to be some ripples in the frame, suggesting like it the nose gear collapsed and you know the nose drove into the ground and like the rest of the plane was still going fast enough that it crumpled zoned. Mm-hmm. So uh, there there are slides deployed. It does, the pictures don't show ongoing fire, so it seems like they probably got out. People got out, hopefully all of them safely, but be interesting well, to see the report on that one. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad weather in Cebu at the time, I think yeah. it looks like. So, yeah, crazy. Yeah. And Rwandair actually had a, a prop airplane run off the runway a couple of days ago as well. Yeah, um, similar. I mean, not quite as bad. It looked like clear skies. Uh, the pictures I saw from the evacuation had people taking their bags with them. So, of course. Looks, please stop doing that. And... Yeah, not a great week for plus wow. automation, I guess. Although, yeah. you know, it seems like we'll, we'll get the report on the Korean one, but it seems like no real injuries or fatalities. So that's at least positive. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, these stories when they first roll out, like in the live, you know, live news, there's no detail really because it's kind of chaos. It's chaos. Not sure. kind of, it is chaos. Uh, and then you, you get a few days later and you start getting a clearer picture and then you have to wait a month to, to a year to get a, re- a formal report on what actually happened. A year if you're lucky. I mean, it was actually lucky. news the other day that Egypt aircraft still hasn't put out a report. It's been like six years. Oh, God. And this is an interesting one, right? There was the country of the crash uh, or of the incident generally under ICAO rules holds uh, authority for conducting the investigation, mm-hmm. right? And so there's also that crash in China, I guess, last year at some point now. Dates um, sort of blend, but and things have been quiet and quiet and quiet. And then someone sort of leaked the report or the initial findings of the report and it was concerning because you don't want the leaks you want the stuff to come out properly but if the country of control or of record whatever is not releasing the information you kind of need the leak because you know the, the industry only gets better if we actually know what's going on yeah yeah and if someone's withholding that information it's pretty hard so um it's interesting to see that go back and forth but yeah Definitely. And then that, again, like you said, it adds to the timeline of how long these things take to publish and get out into the public eye. Yeah. Um, Hawaiian cargo for Amazon? Yeah. A330 freighters. Uh, these are passenger to freighter conversions, and they're going to be the 300 series. Mm-hmm. So this means it's not the 200s that Hawaiian is supposed to be retiring mm-hmm. next year. Um, they're going to open a crew base on the mainland. Okay. So it's not just for flying back and forth to Hawaii. These are and I think Amazon is using these to retire some old 767 freighters, which, I mean, I guess happens, but it's almost hard to believe that you have to retire 767 freighters. <laughs> um, <laughs> seems like those should just fly forever. But it's super interesting uh, to see this coming along. I think 
Yeah, we'd have to go back and check the, who Amazon has flying seven sixes for them. There's a couple different companies, but uh, this is pretty big. Yeah, so I mean, this isn't just to carry cargo to, to Hawaii. You kind of mentioned that, but is, are you, they're going to use these three thirty threes? You think in the mainland U.S. to to move freight around and then yeah, also tag be, on. I don't think they're going to go to Hawaii very much at all. I mean, we'll see what the yeah. routing is, but because because of it, Hawaii is opening a mainland base. Um, there's also some discussion about could that base be used for the uh, pilots that Hawaiian has that do the charter flights for NFL, mm. which at least while they still have some A330s around would probably be that plane. Obviously when there's no more A330 passenger planes in the fleet, that becomes interesting. Yep. But um, it's, these are Alaska airlines is leasing them from random lessor who has them in inventory. And then Hawaiian will be providing maintenance and crew hmm. for the planes, but doesn't own them. And, you know, doesn't, I guess, manage them, but sort of does manage maintenance and insurance, or I'm not sure about insurance, but does manage the maintenance and the operations. So it's an interesting setup. It's sort of like the Sun Country deal where Sun Country operates 737s for Hawaii, uh, for Amazon. Yep. Uh, but I think the main difference, uh, well, one that's the wide bodies, but also for Hawaiian going forward, the transition to the 787 is supposed to be pretty quick. Yeah. So how many, right? And when I look at this, it's like, okay, so is this a opportunity or to convert pilot or to keep pilots without having to convert them, right? If you have a bunch of pilots who don't want to switch from from Airbus to Boeing and want to keep flying, how do you keep them employed and happy? Uh, I, I'm not sure that moving them to a base in the mainland is the answer if they live in Hawaii today. Presumably, most <laughs> of the pilots living in Hawaii, life living in Hawaii. Yep. But you know, maybe some want to go back to the mainland. I don't know. But like, so that's an interesting challenge. But then also. How do you, the press release says they expect this to add one to 200 new pilots to the company over the next couple of years. Like, where do you find 200 new 200 yeah. pilots? Yeah, yeah. And I guess you can train some of them, but like you need a decent pool somewhere and you need a decent pool of pilots willing to convert from 330s to 787s. So that's an interesting just sort of pilot challenge going on there. And I don't know if they go look at the company that's currently has the 7-6 contract where those planes are being retired and try to pick some of those pilots up or what. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything with being in pl- with planes these days, I start wondering about where the pilots are going to be. It's it's less about the plane and more about the, the people yeah. who operate them. Um, so Hawaiian getting rid of the three thirties, the wide bodies for passenger mm-hmm. uh, flights. What are they completely switching to then? Is it seventy seven? Yeah, Greenliners. Okay, yeah, that's a that's an interesting switch. Um, yeah, and when's that supposed to happen? Two years ago. <laughs> Lovely. Next year, uh, twenty three. They're supposed to start getting deliveries. So okay, it really was supposed to happen a couple years ago. Uh, it's delayed. I mean, I wonder how quickly it, they will get enough planes to start really making a dent in the fleet. That's, you know. Yeah, I'm not certain. Sure little... Yeah, I mean, it's, I would assume they get a couple pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, just because you don't want to, uh, you don't want to have like one and yeah. then deal with the uh, first of 10 from, I'm sorry, looking at trying to find it mall oh, right now, but um, it's definitely going to be a challenge if you only have a couple to start. Yeah, I mean, just getting crews up to speed and actually running routes with them and stuff. It's got to be tough. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's move on to United. They've finished their Polaris uh, business class, or Polaris, I guess, just in general, uh, rollout to the 787. So this is business class, premium economy, and some changes to coach on yep. the 787s. The last 789 went into maintenance to get its work done, so all the ones flying are completed. It's good news, I think, for business class customers and to have a premium economy, a true premium economy product. Yeah. Um. I think the 788s are the ones that lost some business class seats, but uh, you know, I think that was to be expected uh, yeah. with the new seat. Yeah. The, the other 
amusing to me, if nothing else, uh, business class news this week came out of the American Airlines earnings call. And I just, I can't is sort of where I end up with this story. <laughs> but um, so on the call, uh, one of the analysts asked essentially, gosh, you guys are betting big on premium cabins here. There's a lot of premium seats on your new layout. And this is the new layout that was announced four weeks ago now, end of September, um, where they're getting rid of the first class cabins. Yep. And in the announce, and to be fair, they only had the first on this, a handful of 77Ws, more than a handful, it's like 27 Ws and 16 uh, 321Ts. It was a total of 320 seats fleet-wide. Um, and the analyst like, hey, you're getting rid of first class on these. That seems like a big deal. And Vasu Raja, who's chief commercial officer, was like, answered, yep, first class will not exist on the 777 or for that matter at American Airlines. And <laughs> sort of forgot to qualify that that meant long-haul first class. Yeah, yeah. Um, and keeping in mind that like domestic first class really is just premium economy and probably should be called that. Um, if it, but then you can't sell like Comfort Plus or extra legroom as premium economy on board. So fine. Um, putting all of that aside, the report, I don't know what happened, but the whole new cycle of reporting came out around American Airlines is getting rid of first class. And they issued a clarifying statement saying, no, this is only on the international planes. It's not that big a deal. But it got completely lost in the conversation. Now, to uh, uh, the smarter things Vasu said on that call was basically... Quote, we're getting rid of it. Uh, we're getting rid of it, quote, for the simple reason that our customers aren't buying it, end quote. Um, so obviously, you know, employee class fine or up ups or upgrades, um, you know, but frankly, by removing it, we can go provide more business class thesis, what our customers most want or are most willing to pay for. Again, smart business choice makes sense. We've been talking about wondering about why American had first class since 10 years ago when they put on the 321Ts. Um, right. So all of that makes sense. The, the other interesting thing I think that came out of it was the conversation that American is seeing way more leisure premium travelers mm. like everyone else is, but they've yep. put some numbers on it saying more than half uh, the demand is leisure travel up front, willing to pay for business class. I, I mean, I think it, one, this is kind of like non-story because it, the, sto- the story is AA's stupidity in answering a question. Well, poor phrasing during an earnings call. Yes. 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 Uh, it turning a non-story into a story. Yeah. Um, but I think we, we now know more about what American Americans economics are with their first class cabin international. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, um, I I mean I, it makes it makes sense what they're doing. Um, I I guess getting people to understand that is a little harder, uh, especially the general public. Yeah, and I know like my I think I feel like my answer would have been long haul. We think business class is the right place to be. We yep. see you know first class remains in our in our domestic markets, our short haul markets as it always has. I guess would have been a much smarter mm-hmm. way to phrase it, but. Yeah, it's really hard to get you know, over how this is like taken off again. Yeah, and I, I mean, I saw like the Twitter stories, like people posting this is a non-story. And everything. I'm like, why, why are we even talking? About it? Anyway, um, I wonder though. It, we've we've talked about on the show before how it feels like business class, first class, cabin stuff is it's it's kind of cyclical, right? But it's also just a renaming of a product. Yeah, right. Like it used to be first class was that's where you got the live flat seat, and now. That used, used to be that's where you got the Barca lounger. Let's be honest. But true, true. And and then and then you know in uh, in business class you got a recliner and a better meal and you know it was yeah. de- it was decent. Now that's all. Everything's been pushed forward and it's gotten a different name. Right. Business class is first class. Uh, yep. Old business class is premium economy because it's a do- it's a domestic first class seat with with a leg rest. Um. And then you got regular economy. I I feel like we're just changing names. One day it'll maybe it'll switch back. That's that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I'd, honestly, I think the part where they've done branded naming, yeah, right, that certainly helps because they can say they can call it whatever they want. Yeah, premium select is just premium select. Yeah, 
or whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. But yeah, then figuring out how to sell it and how it translates into the other uh, distribution platforms is more challenging. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Can we can we talk about demand for a minute? Just general demand, business class wise. I mean, we've we you can demand that. I can't. I can demand it. Um, we sure. I think we had a story a few weeks ago where we were talking about overall people. Certain airlines are seeing business demand up, and other airlines are seeing it kind of flat. In the, it, for the fall and winter season. Um, has there been any more on that? Um, I'm not sure if it's business class or just in general. I think what we've seen is that the legacies were doing better going into the winter than the upstarts. Mm. Right? The, your ULCC, I think like Norse and Flyer in Norway, and which is a short haul option. And you know, some of those are more concerned about operations and what demand really looks like going into Q4 and into, well, especially into Q1. But at least for now, uh, Delta, United, and American all had earnings last week, and also or the, uh, the last couple of weeks, and have all said that or that demand appears strong still. I mean, fares are still stupid high for winter travel. Yeah, I mean, I'll just uh, give you a couple of anecdotal things. I think we chatted about this a little bit. I have to go to India in November, and um, fares are ridiculous, like 10k plus in business. Um, and in half of those, like in a lot of cases, the cheaper fare, like the fare that you're like, oh, it's it's reasonable, it's like 6k. It's actually selling you Frankfurt to Bangalore in coach economy because it's completely sold out. And it's like weeks, weeks of no availability. And yeah. um, and that, to me, that's insane uh, that there's that much demand. Yeah. I get it, but it's also crazy. Um, and then what you else could well, be connect in the Middle East? At least they've got some lift into or it's a shorter hop. Well, it's true. I, mean, I think that's the other thing is like it's it seems like lift into Bangalore out of Europe is relatively low. Yeah. Uh, with Lufthansa being the only one, and BA I think has a flight, uh, and then Air France I think as well. Um, but for the Middle East carriers, it seems like fares are lower, not by much, but they have a lot more lift. The capacity, at least, yeah. yeah. And that part of that is the India generally has relatively restricted, and I'm very over generalizing here, but generally has some restrictive uh, bilateral treaties. Yeah, like with the Middle Eastern carriers, there are limits on, and with. Uh, Turkey, which we talked about last week, because of the Turkish Airlines wet lease for Indigo. Yeah, yep. Um, there's limits on number of flights and number of seats depending on uh the country. So like, oh, interesting. There's a big deal. Like Emirates brought that is bringing the A380 actually to Bangalore now because like, they can because they can bring in so many. Well, that no, the, the number of seats is relatively limited. But I think they actually pulled seats down elsewhere. But because Bangalore has such demand, yeah, that's got their most business class seats on it. They can they can fill that premium demand. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's even, it, I have to go to London as well. And even the London flights are stupid expensive yeah. and full. Like I'm looking, well, what's my best chance? I'm hoping for an upgrade. Um, and I don't even know what to pick because mm. they all, they're all full. So there's a guy who posted, I think on Reddit that he's got like, I have 215,000 points in the American program this year and I'm 15th for an upgrade. What's going on? Yeah. Like, well, first I first. Yeah, people um, people are buying it. It's true. People are buying it, and yeah, we joke about one first buy first. We have for years, but like people really are buying it now. The numbers and people are paying more for it. That's the other thing about uh, Raja's quote is like we're seeing people buying it. Our yields are higher than they were in 2019 significantly. So that people are buying the premium cabin. Yeah, I mean, I think about like the New York to London Heathrow market. And I was just looking at fares, like a one way fare on United in businesses like 3k, maybe 2800. Uh, yeah, and, and it's not terrible. It's not great, but it's. When I think about that, and you look at that round trip, fifty six hundred dollars compared to to before COVID, it was probably more like three k, maybe thirty five hundred. 
Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, like, in theory, those, you're probably not in the discount bucket, right? You're not in a Z fair, you're in a C yeah. or D. Yeah, yeah. But it's still... Right, the so Z fair or the P fair now that the United uses, like, those are still cheaper. They're just constantly sold out or not being made available because demand is so high they can sell for higher higher fares. Exactly, exactly. And I want to see, like, what they do as we get as I get closer to my dates. Like, do they actually open up P and Z and start selling a discount fare? And is the new rule now, you know, because my wife's all selling ridiculous in the New York Times about buying airfare a year in advance, which I think is stupid for a number of reasons. Um, but is the rule now wait till two weeks before your flight and then buy it? Like, what is the, the this doesn't, it doesn't make yeah. any real economical sense for a, a flyer to wait that long because they got to make yeah. plans. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, the answer is airfares are way more expensive now. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, Delta, BA, and Southwest are all changing their elite qualifying rules for next year. And uh, what's the what's the good word here? Uh, so British Airways had previously uh, gone to half qualifying tiers. Yep. That is, and you know, just indef- seemingly indefinitely extending elite status. Those uh, benefits are gone. Okay. So uh, you want to qualify for executive club tier status? Get ready. As of January first, you have to do it for reals the old way. So that's one of them. Uh, Southwest is increasing the number of points required for companion pass by 10,000 to what, 135, I think now. Yep. But if you have a co-brand credit card, click here to sign up now, you get uh, 10,000 points towards companion pass now going forward. So this this one is interesting to me because it's showing the tie of co-brand in the United States, especially, and just how strong that really is and continues to be. And it seems like every which way we turn, we talked about this with Avis and Aeroplane a couple weeks ago, and apparently phrased it badly. So sorry about that. Um, got feedback from that this week. <laughs> um, right, like everywhere you go, having the Cobra and credit card is va- not everywhere, but certainly in the United States has some sort of elite benefit contribution in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and where and how it applies varies, but it definitely is there somewhere. Um, yeah. yeah, and then Delta is changing the medallion qualifying dollars requirements starting next year. Uh, Silver will still be three thousand dollars in spend. Gold goes up to eight. Uh, platinum goes up to twelve, and diamond goes up to twenty thousand dollars in spend. Twenty k for top tier status. Wow. Or you know your two hundred fifty thousand dollars spend on your credit card. That is wild. But they're also offering new uh, premium choice members for folks who hit diamond and platinum. Um, if you have the credit card, you can choose a statement credit. Uh, you can gift. Uh, Diamond will be able to gift two gold medallions. Platinum will receive two silver medallions, which is interesting that they're doing two of them, but at a lower tier. Yeah. Um, you can take a Delta Vacations credit, uh, MQD Head Start for next year, a travel credit voucher, or a $250 sustainable aviation fuel contribution. Yeah. I'm going to take that one. That sounds like a great choice. I'm sure some people will, but it's bizarre. Anyway, uh, I- yeah, $20,000 up from 15. These are big bumps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so does Delta have the thing like United does? I don't, I don't know enough about them, but does Delta have the thing where if you uh, fly uh, a certain number of, of segments, you your number of dollars spent is less, or is it is it just always twenty k? I guess just always twenty k. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of spend. Yeah, on, on, uh, to fly. I mean, I, mean, I guess you raise a good point. And among the big three, Delta has sort of held strongest to that, whereas American has sort of gone to just sort of totally right the. To- the elite points, which is total spend, including credit card, they're higher numbers, but have different ways to get to them. Yep. And then, you know, dollars spent on airfare figures in and you earn those with a multiplier, but it's not straight dollars. So, I mean, it's some, this has got a crack, right? Like it's got a, it's got a, there's got to be a crack to this somewhere. 
that we just don't we're not we're not looking long and hard enough at this to, to understand it you mean eventually the airlines are gonna be like well shit that didn't work and bring it back yeah like i i, I think i think oh i mean well if you also go by the theory that airfare is up right I mean, month to month you know year over year or something the the inflation reports that come out say airfare is up 20 or 30 percent increasing medallion status qualifying by 30 percent or 33 percent is cost of living increase right yeah yeah but i don't know they didn't drop the numbers uh, in 2020. Well, they sort of did, but not permanently. So they didn't drop the numbers back down when in, when they went the other direction. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and we haven't heard anything out of United. I wouldn't be surprised if they announced something soon, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and there's also the JetBlue bit where they announced last last week that they're going to have some exciting new changes of which, you know, great new benefits and things, mostly that they're taking away some bonuses. But we should just don't worry about it. There's going to be new stuff coming soon. Yeah. New stuff has not come soon. Uh, Foz and I have had discussions kind of on the side just because I think we've both been doing some work travel and yes I, I'll say this it's not fun like it's not enjoyable as of recently um, people are I think more asshole like than ever um, and just the experience on the airlines isn't isn't that great um, it's kind of mediocre and we've and I've mentioned it here like do I just give up loyalty and just fly the cheapest fare my my issue is that I'm required to book through a corporate booking engine, and and that corporate booking engine lately has been selling me economy tickets, but then booking me in basic economy. Um, and yeah, I would just have yeah. words with someone about that. Yes, uh, exactly. Um, and so there's just some serious issues I think there, and I think as, as corporate travel get kicks back up domestically, people are going to be pissed off. So anyway, um, the Max might be flying in China soon. I like oh. that you called the Maxin. Well. Plural of Max is Maxin. Um, in my spelling, just like Airby or Airbus. Uh, with two eyes, naturally. Um, of course. So this is interesting. There was a, a Mongolian plane. Yep. Actually, with, was it Miat, I think? Yeah. Um, yeah. Has the Max. They brought one into, uh, they brought one in a couple weeks ago. They flew it into China. Yeah, it landed in China, turned out and came back. So, one of the weird things about China is like the there's two approvals that were needed. And I think back in January, we were talking about, wow, they finally got the first approval that's it's legal to fly them in the airspace. But the second approval is like, are Chinese airlines allowed to fly them? Mm-hmm. And that one is somewhat more politically motivated in addition to safety. And that one is still forthcoming or not has, has not yet been forthcoming. Gotcha. Okay. Way to phrase it. Right. So um, that's a really challenging situation. But uh, China Southern who has a bunch of maxes in inventory, three of theirs have been unsealed, is how it was described on Twitter. I'll put the link in the show notes. But basically, starting to get them cleaned up, mechanics were spotted working on them, questioning whether they're going to try to get them into the air. Huh. And then, are they doing it to do some test flights to bring them back into service? Are they doing them to paint them white and get them out of the country? It yeah. seems unlikely to me that they would be doing that, but like, it's, anything is possible. Because if they were going to leave the country, they'd go probably to India or something like that, right? Like, I mean, I think they'd go anywhere someone's willing to buy them. But yeah. um, the India angle is an interesting one. Boeing is, at, per Bloomberg, being reported as considering selling the what are essentially white tails. These are the old, previously built for Chinese airlines. There's about 140 of them sitting around. Uh, possibly Air India would take mm-hmm. them uh, for their fleet renewal now that Tata's got the checkbook open. Yeah. The new owners. So there's a, there's a whole lot of weird going on there, but uh, the short answer is the, you know, yes, they've flown a little, but who the heck knows if and how. And I think John Ostrow was reporting that they, one of the new, they just had the 
their big annual meeting yeah. for the Chinese government and the new council. One of the leaders seems to be less pro Boeing than not. That's so it was, yeah, it was an interesting, it was sort of a, somewhat of a, considered a negative shift in that sense. Do you think um, this attention, right, like Mongolian, did they actually land it in China? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was an actual operated flight. Went in, okay. picked, dropped passengers off, picked passengers up and left. Okay. Do you think, do you think like some of the optics around that is a positive thing for Boeing or do you think it's kind of like, well, we don't really know what this means? Is it, because uh, I mean, the idea being that other carriers could fly into China with um, a MAX is a good thing, I think, overall, because it, there, there's carriers that currently can't or yeah. haven't been. Um, but do you think like Boeing sees this as a positive or are they kind of like still waiting with bated breath to see but what happens? I think anything is a positive, but um, it's not positive enough until they really are doing it. Gotcha. Yeah. Is where I'd be. Um, the EU ASEAN Open Sky. So this is with Asia, right? The Asia Pack? Southeast Asia. Yeah. So it's, there's, uh, was it 11 countries, I think, down there? So Vietnam, like the sort of cluster Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Thailand. Thailand. Uh, Laos, Cambodia. Yeah. And I think the Philippines are also included. Um, if we click that link in the show notes, it has the list of all the countries. Because <laughs> um, I remember that from when I was reading it before. Um, yeah. So. EU and ASEAN uh, group have this new Open Skies Treaty. Uh, here we go. Brunei, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. Uh, pretty nice level of open skies between the EU member states and uh, these countries. Mm-hmm. It replaces a ton of sort of one-off bilateral treaties between them and really makes it easier for airlines on both sides to say, yes, we're going to fly between these two countries. Done. Mm-hmm. And you, you just can. Um it also adds uh, unlimited cargo uh, for Fifth Freedom, oh, and currently up to seven or up to daily passenger uh, service Fifth Freedom, <laughs> with the expansion to double daily uh, in the years ahead. I don't remember exactly when that. So they could they, uh, they technically could offer tag flights that they can carry passengers on. Yeah. So Bamboo could immediately extend its Frankfurt flight to the United States. Yeah. 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 Or Vietnam. Yeah. That's. I mean, it's good for them. It's definitely. Welcome thing, and even I think even for the European well, carriers, it could be. Yeah, I would say I take that back. Theoretically, that's how, that's what the open skies part does. I think Vietnam might still be category two. Um, I'm not sure Vietnam is allowed to fly new service to the United States right now, mm. but there's security lo- or like anyway. Say no, like, they, they, category two a country also right now, and it can't add new services. Um, I think Vietnam might be. So that was a bad example for me to use. But anyway. but I think I think within even Europe, right? It's it's still possible. So like if they wanted to fly. Yeah. Frankfurt to London or something because they didn't have enough planes. Yeah, London, you got to be careful about because Slots. it's, well, and its version, it's not EU anymore. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Right. Brussels. So, there we go. Brussels. How about yeah. that? Frankfurt, Frankfurt. Yeah. So that, I was trying to be careful about not using London also. Just, But yeah, yes, right. They could do Frankfurt, Brussels as a fifth freedom route um, if they get slots at Brussels or... But I think, uh, like, where going back to my point, I think the, I think for the European carriers, this actually works out too, right? Like, they could do some fifth freedom stuff in Asia. Uh, with the Russia situation, it kind of gives them a little more wiggle room to play with destinations. Yeah. And I mean, we've been talking a little bit about how terrible the lack of Russian overflight is for most European airlines like Finnair. Apparently, the New York Times finally caught on that they're having problems. I would have to reinvent themselves. Um, so and they're just cool. a few weeks late. It's fine. Months. It's cool. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, depending on, you know, with with the Fifth Freedom Rush, you're right. The, the European airlines could now do some of that fifth freedom stuff within the ASEAN region, which would be nice. Yeah. yeah they, uh, you know, depending on if they can actually, you, arguably they should be able to fill the planes these days, given how much demand there is in little capacity, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be fun to watch a, you know, Lufthansa A380 from 
Singapore to, to Hanoi or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so KLM used to do some tag flights down there. Mm-hmm. I was just like, like Bangkok to Kuala Lumpur or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who else? Uh, there was someone I saw Air the other France day. Did. Air France used to do, because I flew it. This is, you know, I dated 2006. Air France flew alternating days of the week, either Ho Chi Minh City or Hanoi to Singapore back to Paris. Oh, so we did that on our honeymoon. Nice. Yeah. I think, um, who's it? Austrian may have some or did have some. And then I think, uh, Lot might have some as well. Yeah, I don't know. Good old Lot. Um, let's uh, let's wrap it up there. We got some extra topics to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about Northern Pacific pivoting again, uh, and then JetBlue AA and this this seamless partnership that's kind of a mess. And then I'm going to share a little bit about Bluetooth audio on on airplanes. So we'll do that in the bonus topic for our Patreon subscribers. And uh, thanks to our new Patreon subscribers, John and Matthew M. Appreciate you. And uh, if you're not a subscriber and want to support the show, you can do that. Uh, if not, we still love you listening. So thanks for thanks for listening and uh, happy travels. Bye bye. Take care.